Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I am super, super excited for this one today with our good friend, Pierce Shaw. Pierce is a three-timer on the podcast already, and for good reason. Pierce recently completed the Triple Crown of 200-mile races, which, in case you don't know, is comprised of three 200-mile running races. The first one was Tahoe 200, then Bigfoot 200, and finishing up with the Moab 240. A lot of you guys know Pierce already as he's been on the podcast two other times, so I won't go into too much of an introduction, but I will say that Pierce is truly one of a kind. He's only 22 years old. He's incredibly kind, full of wisdom, and just overall an amazing human. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and get something out of it. But before we dive too far into it, I want to first tell you about our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Switchback. Switchback is a community brand that my friend Brock and I started working on earlier this year. We were both searching for a high-quality electrolyte product without all the garbage like sugar and artificial sweeteners. And we also wanted something that had a more effective ingredient profile where you didn't have to take several servings in order to get the right dosage. So we set out to formulate our own. Each serving of electrolytes has a thousand milligrams of sodium, which helps to reduce headaches, keep you properly hydrated throughout the day, prevents bonking and cramping during a race or a hard workout. It also has 400 milligrams of potassium, which also helps to prevent cramping and proper hydration. We also added in 500 milligrams of coconut water powder, which is a great source of natural electrolytes. It also helps with the flavoring of the product. And another addition that we made was estrogen. This is a compound that helps with nutrient and vitamin absorption. We've never seen electrolyte supplements add this in there, and we think that it can really make a big difference. And the science is there to back that up. Switchback is also free from any added sugars. We use stevia to sweeten it. But aside from a high-quality electrolyte product, we also wanted to build a community and provide a place for individuals to connect with other like-minded people through the common interest of health, wellness and running. We'll also be partnering with group runs all throughout the country. We've already had several meetups here in Austin, Texas, but we really want to be the fuel source for all of those memory making moments, which often happen at those group runs. We've had some really, really amazing feedback from everybody so far on the flavor, the ingredients, the design and the community aspect of everything. You guys can check us out at goswitchback.co to shop our electrolytes as well as find out where our next group run will be but again go switchback.co go check us out this episode is also sponsored by two before performance nutrition two before is by far one of my favorite running supplements i take it every single day and especially before big races or big running workouts two before played a crucial part in me hitting my 244 marathon pr at the chicago marathon in october earlier this year if you're not familiar with two before they are a new zealand based company that creates some of the highest quality black currant powder on the market the black currant berries that they use are grown in new zealand soil which gives their benefits an extra boost black currant berries have been proven scientifically to increase endurance speed up muscle recovery and strengthen immunity i take two before every morning about 30 to 60 minutes before for my runs and it tremendously helps with my recovery my performance during the workouts as well as strengthening my immune system like i mentioned this is truly one of my favorite running supplements and i would recommend it to anybody looking to improve their health and fitness journey you can use my code j miller for ten dollars off your order at two before.com again that is j miller j-m-i-l-l-e-r for ten dollars off your order at two before.com all right with all that being said let's dive into this episode with pierce shout Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Miller. Every week, I chat with fascinating people from all walks of life in order to bring you knowledge, inspiration, and insight. 
you enjoy the show, you can support it by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. This is the Jeremy Miller Podcast. All right, I'm taking this down. Ugh, I don't oh, like this oh, kind of stuff. We've got to do a cheers. We've got to cut it out of the. These taste like. Cough, oh, you so... just you just do it without taking the. Yeah, dude. Thing off. That's what happens when you hit arms every day. It's so good. It's so good. I don't know what you think, but oh, I... I bring my water bottle. Whatever. Here, take an Altoid door. Oh. Chase it down. Altoid Dwight. We gotta pray real quick. Okay. <laughs> you know, Piercy boy. Oh, I know. I know how he is. All right, God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for Jeremy, Lord. We thank you for the the talents and gifts that you've placed in him and the influence that you've placed on him. Oh, Lord, I pray that you just speak through me. Pray that. Um, you just reach people in a very powerful way like you have uh, through the other podcasts um, that we've done um, done before, Lord. And I pray that the third time's the charm and that the third time is the one that reaches the most people and that uh, you can reach people through me and, and what um, you know I say to, to ultimately impact people, to change people's lives. And actually leave this podcast wherever they're listening to it on the treadmill, running outside, in in the car, at from home. Lord, I pray that they just get impacted in a supernatural way and that they'll never be the same after it. So we thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. <clears throat> wow. Let's go, dude. Dude, that mac and cheese is in my throat <laughs> right now. <laughs> I think we both should have brought our water in. <clears throat> we'll be all right. But we can get started when you're ready. Oh, we're already going, dude. <laughs> so Dylan's going to put this in? All this. <laughs> uh, Piercy Baby. Big show. Shall? Well, I know it's awesome shall, but you always say Piercy Baby Big Show. Well, my friends in Texas call me the big show. And oh. then... Um, one of my mentor's coaching clients, he's from Australia, and he started calling me Piercy and Piercy Baby, and then they kind of combined the two, and it's Piercy Baby Big Show, but then my last name's Shao, so. But Show, it sounds better, you know? So. Yeah, I feel that. Well, isn't your other nickname the Mechanism? Yes, because I have bionicle legs, arms, and kind of a machine underneath. You're a cyborg, dude. dude yeah, I'm like that guy from Batman. <laughs> yeah. Two-faced. I think you have to be to uh, run, not just run, but be the youngest to ever complete the triple crown of 200-mile races. You got to be, what's the, not human, I guess is the right way to put not it. Not human. Well, I'm very human. I have... You know, the same, uh, you know, tendencies that a lot of other humans have, like Jeremy and I were just talking about, which we'll, I'm sure, get into later of, you know, a little bit of post-race blues. I think that would be a great mm. con- uh, topic of conversation. But, yeah, some some may say that I'm not human, but I believe with, you know, consistency and and gradually building up over time, you know, you're capable of so much more than you think. You think that was what allowed you to to finish these things? Can just being consistent in training and spending years building up this big base? Do you think that's what got you through? Or like, can you pinpoint it to like one specific thing? I don't think one specific thing, but there are definitely a couple. Um, you know, I think a a it's almost like like the power of it. 
the power of having people with you, but also the power of having someone that has gone before you and seeing a picture of possibility of what, you know, people are capable of. And that I've had, I've, you know, we live in a social media day and age, right? Where you can see a lot of people who do awesome things. And so, you know, seeing people doing things, I thought, you know, if they could do this, I may be able to do this. And that just propelled that belief. So I think a combination of things, it's just like, almost like a delusional belief in yourself to believe that you're capable of more than, you know, what your current situation is. Um, Seeing other people being and doing incredible things and being inspired by that, not like jealous or intimidated. And then also too, it's, you know, putting a plan in place to be able to accomplish that and work towards that on a daily basis. And two, not just from yourself, but we will get into this later, but like I had a coach that had done exactly what I wanted to do. And sure, there wasn't really anyone my age who had done it before, but he had done it. And so I knew he knew what it took. And so if he put a training plan in place for me to follow, I could follow the game plan and get it done. Yeah, I think that's one of the quickest and easiest paths to success, I would say, at least from what I've learned, is like figure out what you want to do or where you want to be and then find somebody who is where you want to be or they've already done what you wanted to do and uh, just learn from them, follow in their steps. And you can probably fast track a lot of stuff. You can... Uh, skip out on all the failures that they probably made. Yeah. And you can just reach that point quicker and easier because you've, you've got that like mentor guiding you there. How did how'd you 100%, get... 100%. Go ahead. 100%. And I just wanted to add really quick, one thing before you do that that I think is is really important is you almost have to get your first like win or couple wins. And, on your own? Yeah. And... And maybe that you see a person, they inspire you to do, you know, something. But I don't think, like, off the bat, I didn't run three 200-mile races over the span of three months. It was like, I, and you can go back, we recorded, I'm sure, or I remember, like, a little bit more in-depth on my progression on previous podcasts. But real briefly, I started out in high school running a 5K I thought at the time, man, this 5K, like I can't imagine doing a 5K every day before lacrosse tryouts. I did it. I figure out I'm one of the better people on the team because I'm just working hard. And that then gives me a little bit of confidence. I see my mom doing marathons. She never pushed it on me, but I'm like, okay, well, if she could do a marathon, maybe I could do a half. I set out to do a half. There were people in my life who kind of doubted me. Um, not from a negative way, but just because like they had never run one, they didn't know what it took. And they're kind of like, well, do you know this? Or do you know that? Or do you know this? Just trying to protect me. And so that kind of disbelief carried on to me, but then I ended up doing it. And here's the pivotal moment is I did my first half marathon and I would consider that as like one of my first big running wins. And once I finished it, I had this belief break of if I didn't think at one point that I could do this, what else is possible for me? If other people in my life, when I set out to do this, 
didn't think that I could do this, what other things in my life are maybe I'm thinking about doing or or I want to do that other people are doubting? Where, what other areas are they wrong in? What er- other areas am I wrong in? And so then it unlocks this huge belief of, you know, I didn't think I could do this at one point. What else is possible? And so that's been my running journey of achieving those wins and then thinking, man, I finished this. What else am I what else am I capable of? What else is possible? And so um, that's what I mean by like getting your first couple wins is your mind has to be opened to the possibilities. And I don't think you go from closed mindset to believing you can do the triple crown of 200s. I think it's a progression of expansion over, you know, months and years. I love that. Do you think that we like just put these limitations on ourselves or or just like we we have these people telling us, oh, you can never do that or like, why are you doing that? It's so crazy. And then we just believe it. And then that's what we tell ourselves. Like where do, like, where do you think all these self-imposed limitations come from? Or they're just from other, like we, we just believe in other people more than ourselves maybe. I think it's a combination of a bunch of things. I think it's a combination of other people's beliefs projected onto yourself because like maybe they weren't able to do it. So they're like, okay, if I couldn't, he couldn't. And even maybe subconsciously. Um, but I also think that when it comes to listening to these people and and whether you should or whether you shouldn't, like a lot of times in certain respects, maybe they could be right about some things. Like maybe at that point I wasn't capable of doing, you know, like from the start, maybe you're not really capable of doing 100 right there in the current state but with training and following a plan maybe you could so i'm not saying that's for every case but i because i do think there were times where i i could do something but there was doubt um and then too there's there's this thing that i've learned um from one of my mentors uh in a classification of people called well-wishing haters And I don't know if you've experienced these kind of people. These are almost the most deadly of them all. And these well-wishing haters are people that love you and care for you. But maybe because they've never done the thing or the thing that you want to do scares them or they are just worried for you, they'll not try to, but they'll cast doubt on you Mm -hmm. and get you to kind of hold back a little bit more than what you're capable of. And they may not even be trying to. They might be trying to do the best for you. And that's why I call them like well-wished. They're really well-intentioned, but the way they come across can be like kind of like a hater in a way. Yeah, that's tough. Especially if it's like somebody you're close with or a family member or something. It's like if that's who's holding you back. Other than like a real hater, you know, online or some, yeah. you know, just bully or something. But it's like somebody close to you who's like kind of like saying stuff like, oh, should you really be doing this? Are you sure you, you might get hurt? You know, that's hard. Oh, I'm sure you've heard that, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, my mom is like the biggest worry wart in the whole world. I think she knows I'm going to do it regardless. But she's like, are you sure you should be running 50 miles through the mountains? <laughs> I'm like, 
I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> um, we but, love you moms yeah. <laughs> and people who care about us, but we just, you know, want to push our limits. Yeah. Uh, before we go too far into this, yes. we should tell people what the Triple Crown is, first of all. Oh, yeah. Uh, just in I case guess, they don't know. I guess that would be... And like some more some more context and details of... Yeah, for sure. ...what it is. So the Triple Crown of 200s is a set of three 200-mile races. It was planned to be June, August, and October, but June got pushed back because of the snow in Lake Tahoe. And so the races are in Lake Tahoe, uh, Bigfoot, which is in like Washington near Mount St. Helens, and then Moab, Utah. And um, it was supposed to be June, August, October. It ended up being July, August, October. And even though it's like four different months, the time span from the first to the last was under three months. Dang. And so, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot in a little bit of time. And uh, you became the youngest person. I mentioned it earlier, but I think it's worth saying again. The, yeah, the youngest, youngest, the youngest man. Oh, was there a girl that there was ended younger? Up being a girl. Okay, but she finished like twenty hours behind me, I think, or something like that. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, so she, you finished faster, like on a different year or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So the youngest man to finish. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's it politically correct terminology. <laughs> okay. I don't want any yeah. any haters out there to yeah. be like, oh no, you didn't do it. <laughs> but actually for a solid probably ten to fifteen hours, I was technically the youngest person. Okay. But she finished this year. Oh the same year yeah. she did it. Oh did it was she so she was at Tahoe, I probably saw her at some point then, right? Yeah, she she hiked a lot of it. <clears throat> so she came in close to the cutoffs. Oh, okay. But yeah, props to her. Dang, that's amazing. Um and what made you want to do this big challenge initially yeah um there are a lot of different things that made me want to do it i mean how i kind of got roped into it, it's kind of a funny kind of dumb story but um i was uh, scrolling social media one day as we all do and uh, i was following this girl named candace burt <laughs> and candace is the race director for these 200s and actually as i've shared this more story more I realized this marketing has gotten a lot of people to do her races, <laughs> but she posted like 200 is the new 100. Mm. And so I was like, huh, what do you mean by that? Because I started to do uh, 100 mile races. And then I looked at the website, of course, at that time, excuse me, um, I, of course, at that time, they're advertising the triple crown of 200s. And so like the, the stick was, each race is a lottery that you enter into. So it's like a chance that you will or won't get in there. And then like if you enter all three, you automatically get into all of them. So I was like, well, I, you know, want to do a really tough challenge next year too. So, you know, why not? I, I don't want to chance whether I get into one or not. Why not just run all of them? And so... <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, a funny, uh, funny way I got roped into that oh one. Oh my but, gosh! But then it kind of sunk in. And I was like, man, that'd be really cool if I did it. <laughs> and I looked, and I was like, oh man, there's no one younger than me that's done it. So I was like, game on. Did you think uh, when you originally signed up? Did you think that you were gonna be able to finish, or did you did you have any doubts of like, am I really gonna be able to run three two hundred mile races? I mean, you don't you don't know what you don't really know but I kind of had like an I kind of had a delusional belief that I was going to just do it um because what happens and this is 
the power of like getting your first couple wins. And at this point I had stacked a bunch, like I had stacked, you know, marathons, 52 miles, 60 miles, a hundred miles. I'd run four, a hundred mile races and, and not easy a hundred mile races too. I ran the keys a hundred, which is in Florida in May. So it's real hot, humid. I run Leadville, which is one of the tougher uh, mountain races. And, um, so I'd stacked those wins and with each race, with each difficult thing that you do, it builds capacity, builds belief in yourself. Like that's one thing running has done for me huge is building belief in myself because you have evidence mm-hmm. to support that you are who you say you are. And so like by that time, I was like, okay, well, you know, I've set out to do a hundred mile races and things like that before where you know, I was like, pretty sure I could, you know, do my best and, and finish, but I wasn't like confident because I'd never done it. I, I mean, I was confident, but as confident as you can be without actually having done the thing. But the more you do, then the more your confidence goes up and what you can do in the future. Do you think all that confidence has bled into other areas of 100%. your life? percent. Like it's not just applicable to running? A hundred percent. Like give me an example, like in business or like relationships. Or... Yeah, I mean, I take a lot of calls uh, just in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was in high school and college, like, I mean, I could talk to people like parents and friends and things like that. But talking to like complete strangers yeah. on the call on the phone and like being vulnerable, sharing different things, asking questions that are like not easy questions to ask just has become easier as I've developed myself and my confidence in myself. Yeah. Dude, that's so interesting you say that because that's that's my experience too, 100%. I used to be like, I don't know if social anxiety is the right word, but I used to be so scared to talk to people. And then through running and just like doing these things, it, like, it builds so much confidence, like fitness endeavors of any kind, I think, whether it's lifting weights or running or... I don't know, playing sports or something where you can get those wins. Like it's that like work to reward ratio where you learn like, okay, if I put in the work, I can get a win. Yes. Uh, and I, something about that just builds so much confidence yeah. for people. And it definitely it's the same thing for me too. Yeah. Running is the, one of the biggest confidence boosting like tools I've used in my life because it's exactly what you said. You make a hypothesis about like, okay, I want to do this. Like, I think I can do this. I want to try and get this time. You train, you work towards it, you put in the effort. And then you realize on race day, if you did the work to get to achieve the goal or you didn't and you adjust your effort. What was the hardest race out of the three? Oh, I think you know this one. Is it Tahoe? Yeah. <laughs> what What do you think it was about Tahoe? Because that, that was the first race of the three. You would think... Logically speaking, you'd be more fatigued as the races went on and the harder it would get, but the first race was the hardest. Well, Dylan, as you're watching this, cue up the video of me, (laughs) if you can even do this, cue up the video of me at Tahoe when I talk about, I didn't think, I didn't realize how long this race was. (laughs) It's so funny. It's a good video, but essentially- That was what, like 60 miles in? Yeah, for the audience, like- just to give you some context. I need a freaking Jamie over here to pull up clips on this screen. Oh, dude, that would be sweet. Soon someday, enough. Someday. Maybe we'll do a podcast together. There we, we go. Can, like figure it, something like that out. But yeah, so just to take you through Tahoe, and I think we already talked about this, so I won't go through too long. But essentially, I forgot to lube up my body and my private parts before the race. 
Um, I have some GI issues. So during Tahoe, by the time 60 miles in comes around, I've been chafing. I've been uh, just not having a good day. And at that point, you know, I had to get to the mile 68 station where I was going to sleep. And I, I walked into there just like totally down, totally, you know, just not wanting to be there, thinking um, like, man, how am I going to do 140 more miles of this? And I went to bed. And I wake up and Jeremy catches this clip on social media on, on a video. And I say, like, man, when I signed up for this, I didn't realize how long it was going to take. Because, you know, the first one took me 87 hours. Yeah. Versus a 100-mile a race is, like, I've run 100-mile races in 22 hours. So think about that. That's almost four times yeah. the amount of time for double the distance. It's crazy. And it's because it's like once you go beyond 100, I mean, once you're at 100, you're pretty beat. So yeah. going another 100 miles, pretty beat up, it just takes longer. It seems like it's kind of exponential maybe in like yeah. in that your pain and uncomfort, your, your pain and your discomfort worse and worse and starts compounding on itself throughout these races is it seems like that's the case or or, is, yeah. or no i mean i think you you definitely move slower um but for me what i've found is like your your pain and like your your body just gets to a point where it just hurts like your legs hurt your legs are tight um your feet hurt you have blisters but for the most part like your feet hurt and they reach a point of hurt that they don't really go further than almost. But still, because your legs hurt, your feet hurt, you're sleep deprived, it's hard to keep moving fast. That makes sense. So I don't necessarily know if it like goes like exponentially, but like you kind of reach a point where like you're just trying to move however yeah. you can. What about like mentally? Maybe like mentally does it you think it gets exponentially harder or is it just kind of like you reach a point where you're just like, oh my gosh, I have 80 or what would it be? Like 35 hours left roughly. Like, I mean, are you doing that math in your head? Of no, like, I have, no. I have a whole another 24 hours I got to run. No, I, I can't because that's what happened when I did Tahoe mm. is at 60 miles. I thought, man, and I, I, I have this rule with myself to not do this, but Tahoe, I just got sidetracked from it because it's my first 200 and I didn't come in like focused on that specific mm. piece but I learned my lesson and made the adjustment but like when I go into a race it's this thing called segmentation I focus on okay how many miles to the next aid station I have a background on my phone with the segments and so I look at my phone and say okay okay to the next aid station I got 17 miles 3,500 feet of climbing, so it should take me roughly around this amount of time. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I do all my things at the aid station, then get going. All I focus on, 17.8 miles, X amount of hours. And so I just focus on getting to that next aid station because if you think about how much left, like, oh, I'm 100 miles in, I still have 140 to go. Yeah. It's like if you're counting down that way, it's just going to completely backfire in your brain. And then two, um, 
there's so many things that can happen in these things. Like when you were talking about it going exponentially worse, I actually think it goes like a wave mm. up and down. It's like in terms of how you feel. Yeah. Because you go through high moments, you go for, through low moments. You get on rolls, like with if you're with a certain pacer, conversation's great. You're forgetting about like how much pain your feet are in and you guys are moving. Like I, I move, I, we moved really well the last 40 miles of Moab 240. I mean, we probably passed like 10 people and I felt a lot better at that time probably than 100 to 140. Jeez. Even though that was, you know, the last 40 miles of that race. That's so interesting. So it goes up and down. What was your cumulative time? Or I guess maybe just say like what? I think it's like 91 hours. Uh, across all three races. Do you know that number? Oh, no. Because what, Tahoe was 87? 87, 91, um, and like 79. I can. Bigfoot was your it, fastest? Yeah. And doing, that was he's doing the math. The hardest. Doing the math. He's doing the math. 257 hours. 257 And hours. I think I came in top 10. I was like fifth. Really? Do you know how many ground. people finished all three? The triple crown? Yeah. Ah, oh, shoot. I would be curious to know how many people started the triple crown to how many people uh, finished. I would guess it's less than half maybe, Okay, right? what? how many people do you guess started and how many people do you guess finished? Um... I would guess. Do you have the answer? Will it not show me on my mobile device? <laughs> we'll we'll look it up later if we can't find it. Hmm. I know for the like the grand slam of hundreds, it's like fifteen people will do it every year, and then about half of those will finish. So I guess it's. I would guess it's maybe like fifty percent finisher rate. With the grand slam, there's fifteen people that do it. It's not very big. Dang. Well, I guess that's four races. Yeah. But interesting. So you said it was 257 hours for your cumulative time. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, it was a lot. That's so, so much. How many days is that? While well, you got your calculator out, it was 257 divided by 24. Dead air. We can't have this dead ten, air, Piercy. Ten. Ten. <laughs> ten days? Yeah. Is that right? Oh, I guess because each race took you, what, three to four days. Does that make yeah. sense? Ten days of running. That's incredible. Um, yeah, I don't know. Dude, you... Would you would you do this all over again if you – well, you do have the opportunity. But would you ever consider doing – Okay, 18 people finished. Okay, he, figured, he found it. 18 people. Does now it's it, number six. Does it tell you how many uh, started? No. Six. I can't pull it up. Six here. out of 18. That's pretty dang good, man. Yeah. I mean, it, it was over 30, I think, for sure. Dang. Yeah. That started, do you think? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, would you do the Triple Crown again? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it right away, but there's just, it. it's something like, have you ever done something for the first time and you get it done, but you realize you could do it so much better. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I live in Texas yeah. and they're all mountain races. <laughs> so like, how smart is that? Right. Th right. That's what makes this even more incredible. I would imagine, I don't know the statistic on this, but I would guess that most of the people running these races probably live in or 
near the mountains. Oh, 100%. And you live in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> one of the you, flattest. You've been here for a while. You, yeah, no, no mountains. Yeah, very flat. Um, so that's why. Like, yeah. once, and that's something maybe for the listeners too, you can take away is one of the things I've learned is like, don't necessarily restrict the races you want to do to the environment that you're in. Because like, if you want to do Leadville, Leadville's an iconic race. And just because you live in a flat area doesn't mean you can't do treadmill work. You can't strengthen your legs with strength training it, to be able to like knock out the altitude and stuff. Like it's probably going to be a little bit harder than you for than someone who lives in Colorado, but don't let that hold you back. But on the flip side is like, if you want to perform best as possible, like what is the environment that you're in best suited for? Yeah. So for me in Texas, like it being super hot, like hot races would probably be something good for me to pursue. They're not my favorite, but if I want to, and something I may think of is like, if I want to do as best as possible, like what are some hot races that I can do and, and train for because and utilize the heat. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest thing you've learned through this? Like, I would imagine running for 10 days like this in these races, being out there for 80, 90 hours, you had to have learned something, right? Yeah, some would think. <laughs> two things, two big things I learned. One is the power of patience. Mm. I, I was talking to a guy um, at Tahoe, actually, and an older guy, and he has actually since joined our Wednesday morning track group because he lives in Texas. Oh, nice. Um, but we were talking because he lives in Texas. and um, I think I remember that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, his name was Garen. And he's like, you know, you, you don't see many young people out here. And I go, yeah, why do you think that is? And he goes, Be I think because these things are so long, they require a lot of patience. Yeah. And so – through this, I've learned the power of patience in that you can be doing the right thing. It's just time, enough time hasn't passed. Like typically we're smarter than we give ourselves credit for. And you may be taking the right actions towards your goal, but you haven't been given the like enough time to be able to accomplish your goal. Right. Think about it. Think about baking, right? If you want to bake a cake. Right, you have all the ingredients. You you mix it up. You do whatever, and you put it in the oven at four hundred for thirty minutes. Say, I don't know. I'm not. I don't bake. But it's not like you can crank it up to eight hundred and drop it down to fifteen minutes. Mm. Like it's gonna burn. But you have to cook it at four hundred for thirty minutes, and that's kind of like how this this is in, in a two hundred mile race. Is it's like maybe you can marginally go a little bit faster. But at the end of the day, regardless of whatever, like your time is still going to be really long and you still have to have the patience to go two, three, four days and keep moving forward. Yeah. Dude, I like that baking analogy. Right. Where, did you just come up with that? I, I grabbed it from somewhere. <laughs> I like it. I've never heard that before. It's such a perfect visualization. But but then, too, um, the power of relationships, right? Because- you know, everyone talks about, like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Like, yeah. relationships are important. Like, relationships are the most important thing in your life. But how many people actually live like that? 
And I got convicted about that too because, like, I mean, I've been so focused on these races that I haven't prioritized relationships as much. Mm. Um, That's probably something I'll do more in 2024. But a difference, like, between Bigfoot and Moab, for instance. Bigfoot, you know, I um, I had a crew member. I was supposed to have three crew members. Two ended up not being able to. My one crew member did an amazing job, and I couldn't think, like, Bradley enough. Like, he crushed it. Um, but at the same time, like, like it was really special finish, crossing the finish line. He was there. You know, we uh, hugged, had an amazing time. Um, but then I went to Moab, and at Moab, I actually had, like, eight or nine people. And during this race, I had, you know, a pacer basically for every section that I could. And switching off pacers, having different conversations with different people, allowing them to experience it with me and be a part of that. And then I cross the finish line. There's like five to six guys right there all cheering on. And and they were even really impacted by that experience because it, it lifted the lid on what they thought was possible mm-hmm. by, you know, certain people that they saw out there that, out there that they're like, man, I didn't realize someone like that could run a a 200 mile race or um, whether they see me really down and out, but be able to keep going. It, it shows them that, you know, even when you're struggling, you can keep moving forward. And so two, one, one of the things that I realized that about that Moab was, man, during that race, we created so many memories and so many amazing experiences that all of those guys will remember forever. And me too. And so like, how powerful is it to focus on bringing yeah. people together to do those sorts of things? That's so cool. That's one of the best parts about running for sure yeah. is like the ability to bring people together like that and inspire people and go out and do something hard like that and have that community around you. There's so, there's definitely something like in our souls I think we need to yeah. have good people around us. And I think with ultras too, it's really cool because you also bring in your crew in that crew element in like for a marathon like you may have people out there supporting you but what are they really doing rather than like cheering you on but you're trying to go so fast that you're just you know keep going you're like thankful for them but like they don't really do much to change your race versus a 200 it's like you got people meeting you at each aid station you got different pacers you got people making you food helping you change like all this kind of stuff and um they play a bigger part in that. So yeah. I think it's, it's a very unique like thing you can do. Yeah, it's definitely a team effort. Uh, you And you could do it on your own probably. Like people do it on yeah. their own. But it's not it, nearly as special. Yeah, I feel like it's missing that element. Yeah, uh, and two, it's like two, you think about that, like draw that analogy, like your crew for a race. I need someone to navigate. I need someone to pace me. I need someone to help me with food, refill my water bottles. There's these all these different people serving different purposes on the crew. One person to document it, another person po- to post stuff on social media. Like, who's your crew in your life? Like, think yeah. about that. Who Who's someone that's going to pace you throughout life? Who's someone that's kind of like a running mate for you, that you're, go- you're around the same season and they, um, you know, are, are going in the same direction? You can encourage one another for when times get tough, like how I see you. Like, right. we're kind of like pacing each other who's you know maybe someone who's a little bit ahead of you who can give you wisdom on like for me when to sleep when to 
Um, like for instance, Mike during my coach during Tahoe, it's like I was struggling with GI issues. He was able to give me the wisdom to help me navigate this certain thing. We need those things in life. Like we need right. those things beyond a race. Like who's you know directing you like a coach or a mentor in a career or just in life. Yeah. It, like someone that's ahead of you. So there are a lot of correlations between ultra running and life, and that's you know part of the cool thing about him is you learn so much. That's so cool. I love that. There, there's this new documentary on Netflix. Uh, it's called The Blue Zones. Have you heard of that? No. Um, it's basically like this guy goes and lives with and like kind of studies the parts of the world where people tend to live the longest. And one of the core, like common themes between all these different groups across the world is like their sense of community that they all have. And like, they all have like a really tight knit group of people that they spend time with every day or a couple times a week. And like, they got basically the consensus was like, in order to live longer and be happier, like feel more fulfilled, like you have to have good people around you. Mm. So I feel like, again, like you said, at ultra running, it's like the very tangible way to see all these things that we can then apply to life that we don't always, it's not always so clear in everyday life. Yeah. Like the whole accomplishing the the triple crown of the 200s and all these races is I may, um, people may see me in like the fact that I did that and be be like, wow. But they probably most of the time don't see all the people that go into it and are behind the scenes all the people that were pacers all the people that were on my crew the coaches i've had even during training the training yeah that like us going on training runs me going on training runs with other people like there's so many people that come together to make yeah. a, a dream realized like all the like one thing about people probably wouldn't see is like all the people I actually run with during these races, because a 200 miles mm. completely different from 26. In that 26, like you're racing the whole time, so you're going your own pace. Versus uh, a 200, you know, you you run your own race, but to pass the time, especially you know miles one through a hundred, like you're just trying to get by through it. So if you find someone around you that's running relatively close to the same pace. Like you'll keep running with them, just have conversation and camaraderie and community to push each other through it. What did you, uh, if anything, what did you change like from race one Tahoe to the third race in Moab? Like, did you change much in your strategy? Because I, I, it seems like so much of these races are all about strategy. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I mean, tactically, I, I focused very much on like just next aid station. So that's one big change I made. Um I, what about uh, with like nutrition? Yeah, salt pills. I switched from like a powder to salt pills. Like I, I love using a powder for like 50s, 100s and stuff like that. But 200s, it just becomes so much to like figure out, okay, I need, you know, a scoop here. Because think about how right. many scoops you do. And then versus when I can come into the aid station at this race and just be like, okay, I just want all water. So easy. Yeah. Um. So I did that. Fueling was pretty the same. I started during Moab using this um, this muscle gel I was telling you about. Uh, the, the CBD how muscle do you, gel. Is it Ashe or? Ashe. Ashe. Yeah. Dude, that, I, I, that like took the edge off. Really? For the last 40 miles. Like I swear it's not placebo. Like this CBD stuff actually like helped. And I could feel it after. 
You know when like your legs are like tight and you need to run a little bit to like take mm-hmm. the tightness out? So at aid stations, I'd lather it on and then I'd get up and I wouldn't feel as tight. Really? And then, yeah, because it's got like the CBD and then the menthol is like mm. really fast acting. And so it takes that edge off. And then two, like during the race, like my legs, for well, the last 40 miles, my legs weren't really the limiter. It was my feet. Like my feet just killed. Yeah. And so I need to figure out something with that. But I mean, that's part of it. And just, I think part of getting more time on your feet, more hours, more races and stuff like that. But yeah, it's probably hard to get your body to adapt. Like if you're like most people and you sit a lot throughout the day and then you say, okay, we're going to go stand and be on our feet for four days straight, essentially like that's that's a big change from, I mean, even now we're sitting down when you work, when you're working, you're sitting down in your car, you're sitting down, like we're sitting so much. Yeah. That's actually an interesting thing that I would want to like, I want to spend a day with, uh, you know, the guy Dean Carnassus. Yeah. 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 Because he like has orchestrated his house from what I hear. I, I didn't see this myself. Someone told me he's orchestrated his house so that he's never sitting. Oh, like standing desk. Yes. No chairs. Standing desk, no chairs, like stands when he eats. His guests probably hate him. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't he have a a record at some point or maybe he still holds it? I saw something about him the other day. He has some like crazy ultra record. Yeah. It's like longest continuous streak. Maybe it's like 300 miles. Yeah. Like without, without stopping or something. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Speaking of that, this is crazy thing that just happened to the backyard ultra oh my god dude i feel like we had to talk about that for a sec <laughs> well I, it's so crazy it's like i i did Uh-oh. moab and i was like man moab was so long and then i see that and i'm like dude they ran 450 miles and not much longer than us than yeah. i went either it's like 108 hours. Yeah, so I was 91, so 17 more hours, but double almost. And there's like no time more to sleep. Miles. Yeah, no time to sleep. I mean, the train was probably flatter. I think it. I think at the end of it, I saw some comment that they had done about 50, or it was either 50 or 60,000 feet. So wow. still like a pretty good still amount of gain. Still a really good amount of gain. So yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see the difference between when you do longer segments for shorter segments. Right. Like, like having instance, that constant yeah. refresher every four yeah. miles. Yeah. Like, cause, cause one of the first things I did was when I ran my first like real ultra, I did 52 miles and it was a 1.08 mile loop that I do every 15 minutes for 40, for like 48 segments. So like 50, every 15 minutes for 12 hours. And one of the things I did was I did this, you know, 1.08 miles, took me about 10 minutes, 9, 10 minutes. And then I would sit down, put my feet up mm. and then go to the next one. And so, I mean, I'm trying to remember because that was almost three. It was fall of 2019, which is crazy. <laughs> that was four years four ago. Four years ago. Four years ago, I ran my first ultra. Um and so I was significantly less sore from what I remember. Yeah, because your body has that time to, like, catch up Yeah, every not so to, often. Not to, like, say what they did was not crazy and outstanding. Yeah. I'm just trying to think, trying to make sense. It's of probably it. a, 
a little bit easier in some aspect. Uh, just that style. Yeah. For me, it'd for sure be the sleep thing. Like, I don't know how they can like go yeah. that long without sleep. That's but that's but gotta you, cause like brain damage, doesn't it? But you, this is one interesting thing about these two hundreds is you realize like, yes, sleep is super important, and with more sleep, you're able to go more. But like you can get by with like a, a power nap like it can rejuvenate you it's crazy i saw you taking like, more dirt naps during moab yeah i don't think you did that at, in tahoe at all i don't think so uh during um i i've heard this story there's like this story of courtney dewalter mm. doing a one minute nap or something <laughs> And she's she's like, yeah, it was just the best night's sleep in my life. I'm like, what? <laughs> but supposedly it just rejuvenated her. And, you know, a lot of people are big fans during these ultras of like 10 to 15 minute like naps. Yeah. How how often, uh, maybe that's uh, something I'm curious about is how did your sleep uh, strategy change between each of the three races? Because that, again, seems like one of the hardest things to figure out for these. Yeah. There was a pivotal moment when I uh, came into this aid station, I think it's called Dry Valley in Moab. And it's the last section before it was exposed pretty bad, the last like three to five miles. And it started to get hot, so it was tough. I had slept for two hours the second night, but that was all I had slept in two days. And like my body hurt, but like I could, I could run more than I was, but I just like couldn't get myself to. Like I was trying to figure out a cadence to get myself to run, but I was just exhausted. And um, I was, I came into this aid station and my crew like had noticed I was, you know, dragging a little bit or something or didn't look super good and was like stumbling. <laughs> I don't know if I was stumbling on my words or like I just wasn't making as much. I wasn't as sharp as I typically am like right now, right? And they wanted me to sleep and I didn't want to sleep because there was this flat section and then I was going to sleep at the night because it was the middle of the day. And um, one of my coach's friends was there and I talked to my coach or I texted him. He said, talk to his friend because he could like tell me based on how he saw me. And one of the questions he asked me, well, he was, we were talking about the last section. He asked my pacer how I was doing and I told him like, you know, I started dragging a little bit towards the end. And then he's like, I, I said, you know, I think I could probably run this next section like pretty decent, but do a run walk split. And he's like, like, why couldn't you run more? And I go, he he goes like, are you injured? Like your feet, like whatever. I'm like, yeah, my feet are uncomfortable, but like, it's honestly like getting myself to run more. And he's like, oh, that's probably a sleep thing. Like, you need to mm. sleep a little bit. And so between me, like, not making as much sense, like, talking-wise, yeah. like, I would not say things correctly. I would stumble around a little bit. I was a little bit disoriented. And then, like, he he said, like, because I couldn't get myself to run more, I needed to sleep. So that's an indicator. Yeah. So a thing kind of clicked in my brain where I was like, man... Okay, if I'm physically capable of running, but I can't really get myself to run late in a race, 
like in these 200s, it's probably because I need to sleep more. Interesting. And I was like, oh, dang, okay. And so then I slept the next aid station, um, crushed a like 40-mile stretch that was like the some of the most gain on the course is like 8,000 total feet be- across the four, 40. And then I slept at the last like the 200 mile aid station and took like an hour nap or something, hour and a half and then went. And then that last part of, you know, why I think I did so well those last 40 was because the more sleep. Hmm. So it's interesting and everyone's a little different, but. So do you think it's, uh, there's not like one way, even for you not there's not just one way to, to go about the sleep. It's just like gauging how you feel throughout the race and. Yeah, it's how you feel because, like, you'll try something and it works. You'll try the same thing again the next race and it doesn't. It's just so, like, unexplored. Like, they've got marathons, like, dialed in. Like, if you do this training, you'll get to this point. Yeah. They've got hundreds. Like, they're starting to get it more dialed in. But not (laughs) two hundreds. No, it's like the Wild West. Yeah. Yeah, they're so new. Yeah. It's such a... I, like I've been, while you're talking, I was just thinking like how 200 miles is so far because my my furthest I've gone is 50 miles. Yeah, and like I was thinking back to like the last five 10 miles of my 50 mile race, and it felt like so long. And I'm like, I cannot imagine even doing 100, let alone 200, like four times what I've done. It's just like I I can't wrap my mind around it. Okay, think about this. And it, that I agree, like, you know, that was hard for me to fathom at first. But think about this. So when you go and do a half marathon, typically, you know, once you get through the first couple miles, like you'll you'll start to feel it more so towards, you know, mile 10, 11, 12. Like you'll start to feel like, OK, like I'm ready to be done, you yeah. know, whatever. When you do a marathon, you know, maybe 20, uh, 21. You don't feel that same way yeah. at 10, 11, and 12 than you did when you were doing the half marathon. And so that's just a, an attributor to the power of perspective. And like when I say I'm going to do you know, a 200-mile race, like my approach and my mindset and just my perspective then dictates not me you know, at 45, 46, 47, like, Okay, I'm ready to be done. Yeah. Like you have it in your mind. Like, and so you go, you still go through those ups and downs, but it's not nearly like how you right. think that, like, it's not the same feeling. That makes perfect sense. I just gotta, I just gotta go run a hundred miles. That's, that's, exactly. that's my problem. But two, I mean, even <laughs> for, even for the people that um, are listening to this and like, oh yeah, this guy's kind of interesting. Like this stuff is maybe cool, but like, I'm never going to run 200 miles. Okay, you don't have to run 200 miles. But what I hope this podcast does for you is I hope that it, like, expands your mindset to believe what's possible. And maybe you're not interested in running 200 miles, but you think, okay, if Pierce can run 200 miles and people can do that, maybe I can run 20. Maybe I can run a half marathon. I can at least do a 5K, like... That's kind of the mindset that I encourage people to have because it's like, no, not everyone has to run 200 miles. Like, not everyone wants to do it. And if you don't want to, like, you know, you you don't have to. I love that. Right? But you can still get something out of it. Yeah. And and that's how I've treated certain people like, um, 
in, in my life of, oh, wow, they did this. Like, okay, maybe I could do something, something hard. Yeah. I love that. Okay, maybe let's flip that and yeah. say, I'm just going to ask this question for like from my own perspective. If I wanted to go run a hundred miles or two hundred mile race, what advice would you have to like maybe tactically, like training wise, like what what kind yeah. of things would I need to implement to go? Let's just say from a marathon conditioning up to a hundred mile race, and yeah. then maybe progress to two hundred someday. Well, I think the the biggest thing to know is that. Like if there are people that have done it, you can do it too. Like be, get your confidence from that and get even more confidence from, okay, I just need to find someone that's done it and have them write a training plan or give me tips on how I can do that. Like part of what gave me so much confidence going into the 200s, even though I hadn't done it, is I hired a guy who won all three races of them. So I'm like, okay, wow, well, if I get this guy as my coach, like, of course I can do it. Like, he knows what I need to do in order to get there. And so it's just finding someone who's already been there to create a plan for you and then being disciplined, putting in the work and following the plan. Like, I think it's that simple. And two, having a guide in front of you is like, it just opens your eyes to all the different things. Because yeah. before you run a 100-mile race, you may not think of, oh, well, should I change my shoes or socks at mile 50 to help preserve my feet? You may not think to, to check, like, okay, how far apart are the aid stations? Or what do I have to plan to put in my drop bags? Or do I have the right, flat, the, the right headlamp? Like, because even me, like, I ran into some things at, you know, Moab going several nights in the dark where I realized my headlamp sucked. And so I'm, I'm definitely getting a different one for the yeah. next race I did because it just makes a big difference. So, um, yeah, my biggest advice is just, like, find someone that's done it, have them help you get there, and invest in that. Like, why wouldn't you want to improve your chances and your odds right. of getting to a place? Like, I know you have coaches. I have yeah. coaches. And it's just a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, yeah, even people ask me that all the time. Like you're a coach for other people. Why do you need a coach? And it's like, cause I want to learn from somebody who has more experience than me even, or there, you can always keep progressing. Even my coach has a coach. It's like, yeah, everybody has like, if, if it, yeah. Well too, if your coach doesn't have a coach, why don't they? Right. I'd almost be more alarmed because if you, if you're, if you believe in coaching enough to be a coach who's pouring into you yeah like even for example like your coach mike mcknight doesn't yeah. he have a coach isn't it jeff browning yeah yeah it's like because there's always something to learn and always um some something to gain i think from having that that second person there and i think for me too it makes it more of like a team effort in some way it's like you're not just out there doing it by yourself like you have somebody to ask questions even if you know how to do it it's like there's, you can still learn something from that. Yeah. Um, I know the uh, the post race blues Ooh. have hit you and yeah. me too lately, but uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I've seen, I saw uh, a lot of posts about it after like Chicago Marathon, just because oh, I, really? I knew so many people running it. I've never seen many posts. About I saw it. Uh, quite a few posts about post race blues, and I'm, yeah. I'm curious your your uh, experience with that. 
Yeah, I like the word blues rather than depression. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. the word I typically yeah. use. Well, you know, one of the things, and I'll just tell you a little story. Um, I ran the rim to rim to rim in, uh, what was that, 2020, in the fall of 2020. And I go and I do this, I do this tough physical challenge with some good friends. And I mean, it's beautiful. We have an amazing time. Man, it was so hard. I mean, it's like 10,000 feet again over. It's a crazy trail. Over 50 miles, 45 miles or something. It's like going up and down stairs at certain parts. Um, but amazing time. I, I get back to work. I'm working in Arizona at the time. And the, the day or two after, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, wh- what is going on? <laughs> I'm not as driven as I typically am. I honestly feel like I'm depressed. Like, I just can't get work done. I'm not focused. Like, what is going on? And something I've come to realize is after such a big effort, there's a couple of things going on. I think, especially like during a longer race and depending on how much you um, exert yourself, like, there's probably some sort of chemical imbalance. Yeah. Like, for me, there's clearly something up, like, with the amount of sleep I missed, like hormones, whatever, are just out of whack. So first you're dealing with a chemical balance. Two, you're dealing with you've been training for a goal for the last six months or year. You put all this time and effort and energy and you finish it, which is great. But now you don't have a goal that you're working towards. So like you you have a reason to get up in the morning, but like it's not, you don't have like this grand vision yeah. that you're chasing that's very top of mind and very clear. Um, number three is like you experience all the congratulations or like excitement around finishing the yeah. race, the big crossing the finish race line, the all the, you know, messages, congrats, you did this time, congrats, you finished what you set out to do, I'm so inspired. Like, who doesn't want that? And then to come down from that is pretty rough. And so you're you're dealing with a bunch of different factors. And so what I've learned best is, like, I'm not perfect at it, but it's, like, giving myself extra grace during the time of, like, okay, I, I know. And I'm learning more from these 200s because I'm new to them. Like, for a 200, I know I need to give myself for at least two sometimes three weeks after to like not saying I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to be a little bit like I'm not going to worry about getting up at an exact time. I'm I'm going to be a little less like I'm going to be more flexible with my schedule. I'm not going to worry about, you know, getting this in perfectly or getting that in perfectly. Like I'm going to prioritize sleep. I'm going to you know, not really make any big decisions in that period of time because I know that I'm not like my typical self. Um, I'm going to constantly remind myself that this is just a matter of time before I start feeling better. Like this is not always how I'm going to feel. And uh, and so those are a couple ways I get through it. But yeah, dude, it's, it's real. Yeah, that was a good explanation of the, of the post-race blues. I wish... I would have asked that doctor I just had on the podcast because it we all we talked about was hormones and like all these different effects of running. I should have asked him about like next doctor you. Yeah, yeah, I'll get another one on. Um, but because it's it's such a high that you're on, and then 
you come down from that and you go back to reality. And the like, and yeah. regardless of how amazing your life is, it can't compare to like finishing an accomplishment that you've been working for so right. long on. I, I get the, kind of that same thing even from like going on vacation. I've seen. Oh, some, no, it's yeah. well, think about it. It's. Your race is like a vacation. It's it's worse because yeah. it's like a vacation, but then also it's paired with doing something you had trained for. Yeah. And so it's that stacked. It's like goal achievement plus yeah. vacation. Did you get your, um, what is that place called? Baked Bear ice cream? Heck yeah, dude. I, uh, dude, is Twice. that nearby here? Yeah. We might we have to go, go there. Let's take, let's take Brady Don't there. Don't tell Mike. <laughs> You're in between. You're on the off season. Yeah, you're, you're safe. <laughs> I'm I'm on the off season until my race in a month. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. This is a perfect segue. But but two. No, actually, let me dive that in. Dive into that. Okay. Because like a lot of people experience me as being super disciplined, super focused, like a cyborg. Like really. Like yeah. my family makes fun of me because they don't think I ever have fun. <laughs> like that's the reality of it. What do you mean? You run two hundred mile races. I know. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Why isn't that fun? Like I totally think that's fun. Um but yeah, so I ha- I kinda have this deal with myself in that like all like I I don't really enjoy desserts that much. Like I enjoy the I, I enjoy ch- achievement more than like desserts, <laughs> honestly. Like, I, well, I, I, I actually get energy from denying myself like certain things because mm. I stay more disciplined. I'm like, oh, dude, peers are so awesome. Can you, can you put that on a shirt? Achievements with like the greater than symbol? Dessert. Dessert. <laughs> I agree. But, um, but yeah, no. So, like, I actually, it's yeah. kind of weird. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, yeah. but. I get energy because yeah. I know I'm progressing towards like the goal I have. But then I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. I believe you can be very disciplined, but it's hard to be di- very disciplined at all times or else I feel like you're going to burn out. Yeah. At least for me. And so after a race, I give myself the opportunity to like, okay, if I feel like I want to go to Baked Bear and get a. Uh, bear bowl, which is like a, a cookie with two scoops of ice cream in it. Like I will, like because I yeah. work so hard for, you know, being disciplined in my training for six months without any of that, and yeah. so I'm gonna go do that. Yeah, that's what it makes me think of like David Goggins. I'm like, what would David Goggins say to that? He'd call you like a weak little, a weak little bitch. But that's yeah. why he's not as relatable as somebody like you, because like you're you're a real person. Yeah, and and I don't know, like I I kind of see, I see where Goggins is coming from because I do believe that, like, you know, when I have the ice cream and things like that, at that time in the in the week I do or or the days I do, it's like I'm not as like, boom, let's get it done, like you yeah. know, let's let's you know grind, let's get our runs in, like. M- like not maybe as much as like if I'm like frantic and like yeah. race ready doing every single workout to a T, like eating to a T. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, that's a good point. It's um because you almost feel like if you it's weird because like you you want ice cream so bad you want it pizza you want to not do your run every morning at five a.m. like you want to do you you like you want to skip out on that run you want it indulge in the ice cream whatever it is but like as soon as you fall through with that and like 
you get the ice cream or you skip the run, you like feel defeated almost. It's like you lose that confidence that you work so it's like hard the, it's like the opposite yeah. of like you go and do it, you build confidence, you skip out on it, you you like feel like yeah. meh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because like I don't know. Who knows? Is it like David Goggins? I like I love almost every, like I love everything he does and yeah. and I think he's super inspiring. He's part of what, you know, motivated me to or just showed me a picture of possibility to do 100-mile races and things like that. You wonder if like okay, could could mo- could many people survive like that? Or would it just like take a toll on? Is he kind of like he's developed in himself into a rare breed, and he wants to be like that? Yeah. Like I don't know. Um, but there are two things. One, like I definitely feel like he has to uphold this, um, kind of image he has because of all the lives that he's changed. Yeah. Like because there was one. I think he was talking to Joe Rogan, and he was like, Joe Rogan asked him, and he's like. Goggins, do you feel like sometimes, you know, because of the, like, the kids that will, you know, message you that they were about to commit suicide and then they didn't because of you or, you know, this, that, and the other, do you feel like you have to do what you do? And he's like, heck yeah, like, I would have retired years ago yeah. if, if you know, I, I I wasn't, like, he feels kind of like this pos- positive responsibility. Yeah. Um, but then I talked to other people like uh, Sally McRae. Sally McRae won Moab amazing and the triple crown and the triple crown for females yeah. for females and the grand slam of 200s yeah um and so yeah she, incredible person um she attributes her off season to what's been able to allow her to race for 15 or so years mm. competitively like she's won badwater she won moab she's done phenomenally and dirt she takes like Two to four months. I I like was drilling her with questions on this because I was like super interested. Um, she takes like two to four months off, where she loves strength training. So she'll strength yeah. train like five six days a week. Um, but because she just loves it. But then, um, as far as running goes, her running's very unstructured. She'll just kind of run whenever she wants to. She won't do like a ton of long runs. She'll. She lives in California, so she'll do, like, some stand-up paddle boarding, like, some other stuff, but just kind of switching it up so it's, like, you don't burn out on the sport um, yeah. and you get a little mental break because I think all, as much as physical break, you also get the mental break of, like, right. okay, for this section of period of time, I can be a little relaxed because I know when I get to this section of time, I'm going to be, like, Balls to the walls, like discipline. Right. Yeah, I found that with myself too. Like going in cycles like that seems yeah. to be very beneficial because it's, I don't know, it just doesn't seem sustainable to go hard all the time. Like just keep going race after race after, after race, doing PRs and longer and longer distances. Like you can keep progressing, but I think having some time in between seems to kind of be the key. Yeah. Um, at least to like preventing injuries, ensuring your longevity. Oh, oh physically you need it for sure. Yeah. But like actually I have this mentor um, and we were having this conversation recently and he, he's like, he, he had pulled up that I had finished and uh, him and his wife did a lot of bodybuilding and, um, and she, 
uh, once she saw that I had just finished, he told her, and she goes, okay, how are you going to help pierce through the post-goal achievement depression? And like, you you have to go through those ups and downs, and, and that speaks to like post-race blues. Um, but like, that kind of speaks to like, Oh, no, no, what what I was going to say, sorry, I got a little sidetracked with that. With We then started to talk about bodybuilding, mm-hmm. and he says that a lot of people get injured in bodybuilding because they do a show, and then they get that depression, and then they try and jump back into it too quickly, mm-hmm. and then that's when most of the injuries happen because you, you just can't. You need to give your body time to rest, and right. that's kind of like with races in that, like, you know, maybe there's some anomalies, but like, for the most part, if you tr- if you do a huge effort, like your body's still recovering. Like my body's still 100% recovering from Moab, right? So I can't jump right back into it. I got to ease myself back into it so I don't get injured. Yeah, and I think it seems like that recovery period can be sped up over time. Yeah, like the more you do these things, oh, yeah. obviously your body becomes more adapted and acclimated. I, agree. Uh, I remember like. My first marathon, I didn't run for like a month afterwards. Or maybe it wasn't that long, but it, it was a long time without running. Yeah. And I, I was like beat up for a while. And now it's like I can run two or three days after a marathon. Yeah. It's like just a couple of years later. Isn't that fascinating? And then there too, it's fascinating that there are studies that there was something that said like, if you run a marathon, you run it, shouldn't run for six months yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe if you've never done anything physical before ever okay, so <laughs> or something, it, I don't know. I've, for Moab 240, it cl- I clocked 250 miles. So that's 10 minutes shy of 10 marathons. So should I not run for five years? Yeah. <laughs> that's the correlation. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you like- Well, what's next? Sorry, guys. I can't run for five years. Yeah. <laughs> um, Your like recovery in between races. So you had- how long was it? Uh, I know Tahoe to Bigfoot was like three weeks or something. 17 days. 17 days, less than three weeks. And then you had, what, like two months between yeah. Bigfoot and Moab? Yeah. How how did your recovery go in between the races? Like, did you do anything specific that seemed to help? Well, part of what I did was um, with Mike, part of the reason I hired him is because he follows this low-carb approach. Mm. And so he really focuses on um, eating a high protein, higher fat diet and still using, um, uh, carbs, but using them strategically. And so he'll use them strategically around race times. And like during a race, like use awesome sauce or whatever to help fuel, but he'll strategically be low carb around other times so it can speed up recovery. And so that's super powerful in, in that and that's why I did that. So I actually really think that that helped allow me to do these 200s. Um, but in addition to that foam rolling, I've got a cold plunge, doing as much like red light as I could because red light therapy helps like with blisters and skin in particular. Oh, did you notice a difference from that? Yeah, I think so. Nice. Yeah. I can never tell with some things like that. I'm like, does it really do anything? Well, the guy I, I know who owns the center, he's like um, gotten uh, – you know, he has tattoos and he was saying like mm. this tattoo usually takes however much time to like heal after like two weeks or however long. But it took a matter of a couple of days. Interesting. Late every day. I mean, it's getting rare. popular for sure. It's like I, I believe it does something for how popular it is. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and then I, I uh, want to talk to you about your content, too. Because I know you're going hard into content lately. Oh, what do you want to talk? I'm, I'm, I'm learning from you, man. <laughs> well, I know, I know you've like just kind of gone full send into creating content. Oh yeah. What last year or so, kind of? Yeah, I'd say. Uh, and you had our good friend Brady out to film. Oh yeah. And document for Moab. Yeah. So you guys are working on like a documentary, right? Yeah, that could be a good way to point people to to wrap yeah. this up. Um, yeah. So we're working on a documentary. It's actually going to be called. Uh, like what else is possible because that powerful belief breaker that I had when I ran my first half marathon and I want to reach more people with that and get more people to adopt that um, because we're all so much more capable than what we think and two I think that's a story of you know not necessarily following the beaten path of what everyone else thinks you should do because you know Every person who did something that we admire them for was doubted at certain points yeah. and wasn't sure that they could do it at certain points or, or other people weren't sure, sure of them. And so, yeah, we're, we're creating a documentary. It's going to be really cool. I'm super excited for this. First one I've ever done. Nice. And uh, it will probably be out in December. So I'm not sure when Ooh. this is going to come out, but sometime in December. This will be out like a week from now. Okay. So like, like first week in November, I think. Okay. So maybe so, like four weeks from. So be sure to follow and yeah. uh, and catch that up. Dude, I'm so excited to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I get a little spot in there too, don't I? Oh, yeah. You're going to get I don't know what the heck I'm in there for, but. I'm excited. Dude, we gotta have you. Right <laughs> uh, and then I guess we can wrap it up with this. What um, what is next for for Piercy? I know we just finished like two weeks ago the Triple Crown, but I know that you've got to have something coming up. Yeah. So, um, for me, I'm I'm doing the Brazos Band 100. That's December second. Actually, on my birthday. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, dude. I'm doing it on. Uh, what a better, uh, no better way to celebrate a birthday. I know. I'm gonna run in a birthday hat too. No, um, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people too. I'm friends with are doing it, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. A lot of people I coach are gonna be doing it, so that's gonna be awesome. Are they all doing the hundred? Yeah, a lot of them. Damn. And they're just gonna go as far as they can. Like that's some cool. people have not put in training that they should, but like yeah. they they just want to go as far as they can and yeah. and see. So. Yeah, we're doing that all together. And then, too, like, that's not really, like, my next big challenge. Um, 100 Miles is going to be a walk in the park for you after all this. Hey, we'll see, man. I might set a speed record. No, I'm kidding. Um, it is a fast course. We'll see how fast my legs can recover. Um, but, yeah, I mean, really, I'm focused on, like, getting that done. But also, I think for the next year or so, maybe do some fun challenges probably nothing as big um gearing up for the next one so have you thought of anything like anything in the back of your mind that's like "Hmm, i might want to do that someday Mm. i don't know we'll see i'll (laughs) leave it as a secret i feel like there's something in there what about like one of these backyards uh that could be fun does it do those entice you at all um (laughs) guys in the back trying to get us out of here oh really yeah oh Okay, um, they're kicking us out of this studio. I know. Should we leave this in the episode? <laughs> yeah, let's leave it in. Whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe a backyard. We'll see. I thought you were like being secretive about the backyard. I didn't realize there's there's people. Oh yeah, okay. we're we're in a spot where they just don't want us to stay here all night. We could talk all night. Yeah. 
Guess um, we'll have to come back for round four. Round four. Dude, you are, I think you're the only repeat guest, and this is round number three. Dang. Well, I hope dude. the audience isn't sick of me yet. No, dude. Who could be sick of Piercy? Um, um, okay, let's wrap this up. What is the uh, best place to find you and connect with Piercy? The The best place to connect with Piercy is on Instagram, at Piercyshow. And you may see me doing videos with Jeremy because we always like to record content together. Of course. Um, but yeah, I'm posting a lot of tips, especially leading up to this hundred. So yeah. check that out for some uh, some informational tips. I love it, dude. Well, thanks for coming on. You're a freaking savage. The oh. youngest person, youngest male to ever complete the Triple Crown of 200s. Youngest, youngest person to ever do the Triple Crown and Ultraman, maybe. And Ultraman. Yeah, that's true. That is a fact. Well, dude, you're doing some amazing things, making a big impact on people, inspiring me for sure, and I'm sure tons of other people out there. So thanks for coming on. Well, and, thank you. Uh, sharing your story, dude. Thanks so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate it and really appreciate what you're doing. Um, and also too, just a, a last bit for the audience is like, go out in there and do something hard. Yeah. Like do something that you've never done before and watch like the belief that that will grow in you and also the confidence that that will build in you. I love it. Listen to this man. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. You know what you're talking about too. Sometimes. All right. See you guys later. See ya. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, leave a review, and share it with a friend. And thank you to our sponsors of this episode, 2before Performance Nutrition. Use the code JMiller for $10 off your order at 2before.com, and you can feel the powerful benefits of New Zealand blackcurrant berries. We'll see you in the next one.